Hi, everyone. I'm Fraser Kane, publisher of Universe Today. I've been a space and astronomy news journalist for over 20 years. Now, you might be familiar with all of the QAs and interviews that we do on this channel, but this is a news segment where we cover all of the top breaking news stories that are happening every week. You probably are already subscribed to my weekly email newsletter. It goes out to 50,000 people every week, and this is like a subset a news bite version of all of the stories that I'm publishing in the newsletter. So definitely sign up for the newsletter if you want to read the email version. But for some of you, you like to have the news videoed at you. We totally get it. And that's what this is. So enjoy. For those of you who are big fans of space and astronomy news, you know that there are two great big they're called the decadal surveys. There's the astrophysics decadal survey and the planetary science one. They come out once every 10 years where all of the astronomers come together. They build a wish list, a 700 plus page book wish list that they then send on to NASA and the other space agencies, which is their priorities over the next coming decades. And this week, the planetary science decadal survey was released 780 plus page book haven't read the whole thing yet. But it talks about a lot of the priorities and good news. The planetary scientists really want a mission to Uranus. And so that's their top priority, a flagship mission to go back. And when you think about it, we haven't been back to Uranus since that first flyby by Voyager 2 back in 1986. All the pictures you've ever seen, the high resolution pictures of Uranus and its moons were all taken during that one flyby in 86. So it's time to go back. So with the Uranus mission, they have to start pretty quickly hoping to launch the mission in the early 2030s so that it can get a gravitational assist from Jupiter on its way out to Uranus. But it's still it's not going to arrive until the mid 2040s. So be patient for this mission. Now they released sort of two versions of their budget. There was like the lower budget version that included this Uranus flagship mission. But if there was a larger budget, they also proposed what they're calling the Enceladus Orbital lander. And so they want to have an orbiter and a lander that would go to Enceladus. And of course, Enceladus is the place where you've got these tiger stripe cracks at the bottom of the southern edge of Enceladus, which is spraying water vapor out into space. And so in theory, if there's like a habitable environment under the ice on Enceladus, then an orbiter would be able to fly through this material, sense it, try to see if there's any evidence of either the chemicals for life or actual life living under the ice on Enceladus. And then a lander would be able to go right to where these cracks are throwing material out into space, examine them right there. And maybe we could try to get some kind of evidence if there's life anywhere else in the solar system. Now, those are just two missions. They had a whole bunch of other recommendations, uh, continuing on a lot of the existing planetary science missions, potentially a follow on mission that comes after perseverance to continue the search for life on Mars, the Mars sample return mission will continue, and then possible missions to go to Venus and a return sample from asteroid comets. There's a lot of really kind of cool things coming out of the decadal survey. And keep in mind, all of these missions are just a wish list by the planetary scientists, you're looking at the next 10 years of missions are going to unfold, there's going to be a lot of give and take. And who knows what will finally survive and actually get a chance to launch for the last decadal survey, 
the astronomers wanted a mission to Europa. And now we're looking shortly, we're going to see the launch of the Europa Clipper. They also wanted another mission that would go to Mars, and that turned into Mars Perseverance Rover. So you don't get all of the missions, but you can see how this process goes from the decadal survey wish list to design to construction and deployment of these missions. NASA is having a tough time testing the space launch system. So we've been covering the construction of the space launch system. It, it kind of feels like for my entire career, but but really we've been seeing all of these integration tests, various tests of the rocket system, of the solid rocket boosters. As it's all coming together, we've seen a test flight of the Orion capsule, and now the whole rocket has been stacked up and carried out on the transporter out to the launch pad. And NASA was hoping to do some tests of the space launch system. So it's called the wet dress rehearsal. And it involves a lot of refueling based tests of the rocket. So there were a few glitches. But the big one was there was a leak in the tail service mast unit. And this connects the core stage on the purge canister. And uh, none of their plans around it were able to fix it. They were able to do a slow phase fill, but then when they tried to do their fast fill phase, the leak was detected and they had to stop the tests. And so now the plan is to roll the space launch system back to the vehicle assembly building, fix the errors that they were able to detect with this test, and then have to roll it back out onto the launch pad and test it again. Now, obviously, this is going to add a delay to the flight weeks possibly months. And so now we're really starting to find out whether it's going to be space launch system or starship that's going to be flying first. The United States proposes a ban of anti satellite weapons. So at a presentation this week, Vice President Kamala Harris said that the US would stop doing anti satellite weapons testing. And many of the nations around the world have actually done tests. America's done it. The Chinese have done it, Russians have done it, the Indians have done it. And the challenge is that when they do these anti satellite tests, it leaves this cloud of debris in low Earth orbit that can risk other satellites like the 1000s of satellite communication satellites that are being launched, as well as the inhabited space stations, both the International Space Station and the Chinese Space Station. This week, the US proposed they would no longer be doing these anti satellite weapon tests, and urged other nations to do the same thing to essentially keep the low Earth orbit space environment as clean as possible. And in fact, like literally the day that I'm recording this, the astronauts on board the International Space Station had to deal with a potential impact from a chunk of debris that had happened from a anti satellite test that had happened from Russia just a couple of years ago. And so the implications of these anti satellite tests, they go on for years, as this debris slowly cleans out of the low Earth orbit environment. So that should be a good step. And hopefully, we won't see any more of these anti satellite tests in the future. Wow, perseverance sees a solar eclipse on Mars. Last week on the first version of this news show, we talked about Perseverance finding its own parachute on the surface of Mars. And this time, Perseverance looked up and watched Mars moon Phobos as it passed in front of the sun. Now Phobos is really close to the surface of Mars, It's only about 7500 kilometers altitude. And so it's so much closer. And yet, 
fits quite nicely in front of the sun as it passed in front. Perseverance has a much better set of cameras, optic system than other rovers. And so I mean, we've seen these these transits, eclipses of Phobos in front of the sun in the past, but this is the best one by far. And it really shows you sort of the shape, this sort of weird, irregular, rocky shape of Phobos as it passed up in front of the sun. The eclipse took place on April 2nd and lasted about 40 seconds. And more Perseverance news. Perseverance begins the next phase of its mission, studying an ancient riverbed on Mars. So again, we've talked about this. We've been over a year of Perseverance exploring the surface of Mars. It's located at Jezero Crater on Mars, which is one of the best places to search for some kind of evidence that the conditions for early Mars were conducive to life. It's not searching for life exactly, but it's looking for the conditions for life. And Jezero Crater is this ancient lake that had filled up and drained out billions of years ago. And so everywhere Perseverance looks, it was probably the conditions for life. But its goal has been this ancient riverbed. And now just this week, Perseverance arrived at this location. And this place is perfect, because you've got this stream that was flowing inside this ancient lake bed. And it's depositing silt layers over a long period of time. And so Perseverance is going to be able to go and find some of these areas where these alluvial silt is being was laid down year after year after year and allow it to roll back the history, the geologic history of Mars and sort of get a sense of how water was acting in this region. And it's likely Perseverance is going to spend a long time exploring this area and take a lot of samples that will then be added to the list for the Mars sample return mission coming on into the 2030s. If you like all of the space news that we're creating on Universe Today, you should support us on Patreon. It helps fund the writing, the research, the audio, the video that we're doing. As well, you can get behind the scenes videos early. And if you sign up as a patron, you'll get no ads on Universe Today for life. We'll remove them forever for you. So definitely worth doing. Now I know people have been watching, we've been kind of hovering around the 800 to 900 patron range. And so we wanted to try and have a big push and try and get to 1000 patrons. And we figured well, let's have a race. We talked about how space launch system and Starship, who's going to get to space first? Can we get to 1000 patrons before either of them launch? And we've got an idea which people have been asking me to do a book club on our discord and on university, maybe on the video on on YouTube. So okay, if we get to a 1000 patrons, we'll do a book club, we'll pick some science fiction book, and we'll figure out a way to read it together. And we'll cover it and talk about some of the ideas and concepts and maybe even research, reach out to authors for interviews and things like that. So I know we'll make something really cool. But you've got to help us out. So go to patreon.com slash universe today and join our Patreon. Help us get 1000 patrons before space launch system or Starship launch. Pluto's orbit is surprisingly unstable. This is an exclusive story that we had on universe today. And actually, we had a lot of people reading and pretty excited about it. And so I actually booked an interview with the research behind this Dr. Renu Mahotra, she's gonna be talking next week, and we're gonna go into the details. So I'll understand it a lot more after I've had a chance to talk to her. But here's the gist. 
is that Pluto was discovered back in 1930, and it was actually fairly hard to find because it has a very eccentric orbit and highly inclined orbit. And it takes about 248 years to go around the sun. And what's interesting is it has this really strange interaction with Neptune and some of the other planets in the outer solar system. Pluto's orbit is so eccentric, it actually crosses the orbit of Neptune. And for about 20 years along each one of its orbit, it gets closer to the sun than Neptune does. And so you're probably wondering, like, why doesn't Pluto crash into Neptune at some point in his orbit? And the fact is, is that Neptune and Pluto are in a resonance. And so the gravity interaction between the two of them keeps them in lockstep with each other. So they never actually crash. And it was thought that over long periods of time, this was very, very stable, but hard to explain. And so Dr. Mahotra and others did some long term calculations using the gravity of not only Neptune, but also Uranus and Jupiter and Saturn with Pluto. And what they found was although it's very stable over long periods of time, over billions of years, over short periods of time, it actually changes within a fairly set range. It's quite chaotic, actually. And you can think about the implications of this, you know, as we're searching for planet nine farther out into the solar system, the gravity of all of these giant planets out there in the outer solar system are interacting with all of these Kuiper belt objects, Pluto, and the other dwarf planets, and may make their detection in some cases, easier ways to predict them, but also maybe more difficult because they're not in the places you'd expect them to be over long periods of time. Chinese astronomers record the earliest account of auroras. I live in Canada, which is fairly far north. And so when we've got a lot of solar activity, like we're starting to get now, we can get auroras. And I got to tell you, like, if you've never seen an aurora, it is one of the greatest events you can experience it's like the whole sky comes alive with shimmers of green and purple and red. And it just can seem alive. It's incredible. And cameras do not capture the experience of seeing an Aurora. Now, for most people on Earth who live farther away from the poles, you can't see them. They're really only, you know, you have to be close to the poles to be able to actually see Aurora activity. But when there's really severe solar storms, then auroras can appear anywhere on Earth. And so astronomers have gone through historical records of observations of the sky for times that auroras have been seen. And they're able to use that to very date various events in history. And so there was a, a fairly famous Chinese astronomical record called the bamboo annals. And it was written in the fourth century BCE. So in the bamboo annals, astronomers recorded an event they called the five color light and it happened about the 10th century BCE during the Zhou dynasty. And based on the data that was in these records, astronomers were able to date almost exactly when these auroras were probably seen, and they're able to tie it to which solar cycle was happening around that time and better zero in when the Joe dynasty was happening, and when this solar activity was happening. And it's incredible, what seems like just in historical records, someone just writes down something that they saw in the sky. But in fact, people have used it to get a much better sense of when fairly famous events happened in history. And this is just another example, all of Hubble's images in a single photo. 
Happy birthday to the Hubble Space Telescope. It's now been operating for 32 years. And during this period, it's made 1.4 million observations, which is a lot. And Dr. Casey Hammer, I've interviewed him several times in the past, he was wondering, like, how much of the sky is that? And so he wrote a computer algorithm, pulled in all of the public observation data from the Hubble Space Telescope, crunched the numbers and drew a picture that essentially mapped out every single place and size and shape of observing data that Hubble had done throughout its time. And you would think it would be a fairly big chunk of the sky. And it turns out it's about 0.8% of the entire sky has been imaged by Hubble. And so even though Hubble has been operating for 32 years, the sky is a really big place. And most of the sky has never been seen in a high level of detail. But Here's a picture that shows you what has been seen so far. Just to give you a couple of updates on what we've been doing around Universe Today, we had an amazing interview with Dr. Slava Turashev about the solar gravitational lens concept where you turn the sun into a telescope. And it is a mind-bending interview. I highly recommend you listen to it. It will change your understanding of what's possible, what we could see on exoplanets if we were able to get this mission together. I also had a great interview with Celeste Keith about primordial mass black holes. And Dr. Paul Sutter, our resident astrophysicist, has been running a long-running series of articles called Astronomy 101. It's talking about every single concept in astronomy that you can think of. It's all there, and you should definitely check it out on Universe Today. All right, well, that was just a snapshot of some of the news that we covered on Universe Today this week. And really, I mean, the newsletter is probably 20 plus stories, plus links to another 20 or 30 interesting stories that I saw this week, research journals, other videos. So we're doing a lot of space news on Universe Today, and you should definitely go and check it out. Subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already. Subscribe to the podcast if you want to listen to all of the stuff that we do. And of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel, like stuff, click the little bell, all of the algorithm feeding activity that will help what we do become more successful. And as I mentioned earlier, support us on Patreon. Join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash universe today. Help us get to that 1000 patrons. Can we as a community get 1000 patrons before either space launch system or starship fly? I think we can. So definitely come patreon.com slash universe today. And thank you everybody who gave us feedback last week. We hear you. Um, you wanted us to change the music understood. Uh, so we're going to be incorporating a lot of the feedback. But please, like this is still an experiment. We're doing this live real time, week after week, figuring this out as we go along. And we'd love to know what you think. So post any of your comments, questions, feedback in the YouTube chat or send me an email, however you want so that we can improve this and make it better week after week after week. And I'd like to make a special thanks to Anton Pozikov, who has been working behind the scenes to come up with ideas, help me develop Universe Today, been doing some of the editing, some of the graphic work. A lot of you have been noticing that, and I couldn't do this without Anton. So thank you, Anton. And hopefully we've got even more better ideas coming soon. All right, we'll see you all next week.